Hi, I'm Daisy. And I'm Kat. I'm trans. And I'm cis. And we're in a relationship. And we're going to talk about that. This is a Q&A episode. We are going to be answering questions about starting hormones, what it's like being a trans woman working in a bunch of different schools, and what it's like for both of us being women in stand-up. This is The Daisy Diaries. Hi, Daisy. Hi, Kat. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. I love that for you. This is the 10th episode of The Daisy Diaries. Woo! Double digits, baby. Woo! We're going to do our little Q&A episode today. Yes. We got some cues that we have to A. Some questions that we have to ask. Have anal with. <laughs> I'm glad we went in the same direction with that. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to be trying for two different holes at the same time. So. No, exactly. Have you got any, any news? It's been like three weeks since we recorded and I can honestly say no. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing going on. Yeah. I'm just living my life. I visit my grandma every week. Because she gets a visit from someone in the family every day. And she's always like, do you have any news every single time? She's like, you never have any news. And I don't. I'm like, what news do you like? I'm like, do you want me to go out and do something dramatic (laughs) to make my life more interesting? I work. I stay at home. I do comedy. I eat. I sleep. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I'm pretty much the same, to be honest. Um, I've I've been doing a lot of shopping lately as well. You got a bra. I did. You got your first bra. I did. It's very exciting. How, how are you feeling about having a bra? Um, <laughs> oh, it's been so hot. I haven't wanted to. And I don't really need to. My boobs are still very small. This is small titty privilege. <laughs> Being like, yeah, I got one. Maybe I'll wear it. Fuck around with it. Maybe not. I don't know. If I don't wear a bra and I try and do an activity, you know, something strenuous like walking to the door, <laughs> it's just tits everywhere. Tits are scanter. Yeah. And the under boob sweat. Very serious situation. Oh, uh, yeah. Sometimes even with the bra, under boob sweat. Yeah, I don't have that crease. No, and you would not pass the pencil test. <laughs> I would pass the pencil case test. <laughs> I feel like I'm just shaming you for having smaller titties than me. <laughs> It's appropriate for your bo- for your body I don't shape. I think you're shaming me. Maybe you are a little bit. <laughs> now I do. <laughs> uh, no, you have beautiful breasts. <laughs> All it means is that if I'm not wearing a bra, I just need to make sure I'm wearing clothes that have pockets for carrying things. Sometimes when I have to go to the door quickly, I put my and I'm not wearing a bra. I put my phone under my boob. <laughs> That's true. Just tuck it in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, how does it how, how does it look when it comes out? <laughs> a bit damp, <laughs> moist. There's a sheen, yeah. dewy. I would say <laughs> a sort of glossy, dewy sheen. You know, the kind of thing that you wear makeup products to achieve. My <laughs> phone gets from being under. Maybe I should start just wearing. Put your face under your boobs. Well, I was going to say just kind of collecting the boob sweat out from under oh. it and using it as a moisturizer. This has been a surprisingly visceral start to the yeah. episode. I was trying to think of like a marketing way that you could promote that without calling it boob sweat, but calling it BS is like probably <laughs> no good either. I mean, that is probably, it speaks to its efficacy <laughs> yeah. as a moisturizer. So yeah. I don't see the problem with it. Well, did you have any updates? This one's a bit of a sad one. So it's sort of been like an ongoing thing in this podcast talking about my grandpa and my relationship with him. He passed away last week. 
Um, so I'm not really sure how I feel about Obviously, I'm very sad. As for like those difficult conversations that I was going to have, I don't really know how I feel about those now. About the fact that you didn't end up having them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I'll come to terms with that eventually. But for now, I'm just like, I don't know. Is it, is it a relief that I don't have to talk to him about that? Is it sad that I wasn't able to share that with him? Yeah, I don't know. What yeah. do you think? But it both, I guess. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I mean, you didn't have a lot of time from when you came out yeah. to now. My feeling is that <laughs> based on no personal experience whatsoever, my feeling is that um, you would probably feel more like regret and sadness if you had been out for a long time and, and not told him. Yeah. Given what the situation was, especially with COVID and well, not yeah, being I, able to see him all of last year. I didn't get to see him at all, really. It's sort of like, what could you do? Mm. And it's also like he did know you, true to how you were presenting at the time, Mm -hmm. for the vast, vast majority of the time that you and him knew each other. Yeah, that's true. Um, So I don't think you should beat yourself up about it. Mm -hmm. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Do you need a break? No, I'm okay. All right. Well. Shall we get into our... Get into our cues. Yeah, so we asked for Q&A and we got three questions, which is three more questions than I honestly expected us to get. Yeah. <laughs> I was very against <laughs> doing the Q&A because I was like, we're not going to get any questions. It's going to be embarrassing. But we got three, which yeah. is pretty good. Well, I'm thinking maybe like people listening to this episode may be like, oh, they're actually responding to Because we've been talking about answering questions for a long time and never addressed any of them. Maybe we'll get some more questions after this. Maybe that's really optimistic. It's so optimistic. <laughs> Daisy's like, we're going to get hundreds of questions. It's like, we only, we have a hundred listeners. I thought we'd get like five. Well, we got three. That's We close. got three. That's pretty good. Three is closer to your guess than it was to my guess. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you so much to the people who sent questions. Yeah. I think they were all quite, quite interesting questions and they like thoughtful questions. Yeah, like before we get into it, because this is probably going to be our last episode for a little while. We were thinking we might take a bit of a break for a couple of months and then probably come back when things have progressed a bit more. We'll have some more updates for you. Yeah, and we have some more things to talk about. But for now, we're just going to take some chill time, by which I mean live our normal lives. Yeah. But yeah, thank you so much to the people who ask questions. And thank you also to everyone who has listened and everybody who has shared it and everybody who has given us so much really touching feedback. Oh, it's been so nice. It's been all so positive and yeah, it's been pretty great. So thank you so much. Yeah, it just feels like people are like really engaging with it. It's not just like a thing that they're listening to is like, oh, listen to like a chat, whatever, like every person that has spoken to me about this podcast has taken away something different. I think that's really cool. Yes. It's been fucking awesome. So yeah, leave us a review if you haven't guys. (laughs) We would love that. Tell your friends, share it, whatever. All right. I'm ready. Okay. So what's our first question? Our first question. So we thought what we'd do, we had three questions. Two of them I think are going to be a bit quicker to answer. So we thought we'd do two of them up the top. And then kind of the third one was more of a suggestion of a topic. So we thought we'd kind of chat around that Mm -hmm. for the most. The first question is, it'd be cool to know any general advice you'd give to someone starting HRT. That's hormone replacement therapy. Yes. Uh, And that is from someone who's going to be starting testosterone. So different, obviously, uh, than you and is feeling impatient but also nervous about it you're a advocate for the trans community now oh wow it's a big responsibility you better give good advice mm. 
I think the main piece of advice I would give is be patient. A lot of the time, like I was feeling like I wanted all these changes to happen really fast. I couldn't get on hormones soon enough. I was looking at like surgeries and stuff all the time as well. I was just like, I, I want to be different. And hormones take time. They take a lot of time to, to make those changes. To do what they do. Exactly. Do they do? <laughs> do they little dance? The little hormone dance? Literally, what am I saying? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Go on. Yeah, so I'm not really sure what the effects of testosterone are, but estrogen treatment, like most of the changes take upwards of two years. So I'm only four months in myself and I'm already like, oh, I'm I'm trying to push my expectations lower. So anything that happens is just like a nice surprise or feels really good. Have any things that have happened been good surprises for you? Happy surprises? I talk about my boobs all the time, to be honest, but... <laughs> I didn't expect them to grow in as fast as they did or as much as they have at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So that's been really cool. It is kind of like, it's shocking in a way, like good shocking, surprising when you that it happens so quickly. Mm, yeah. You kind of think, and I mean, I guess it has been the way that it just seems like there was nothing one day and then the next day there was something, but it happened within six weeks or something. Yeah. Really quick. Oh, this is something, this is something that maybe I should have addressed in the previous episode as well. We were talking about body image mm-hmm. last time and I think... Last time I mentioned that I, I didn't really consider my body image much before realizing I was trans and mm-hmm. now I'm in a good place. And I didn't really talk about that point where I was like waiting to get on hormones and I was feeling really impatient. I felt really bad about myself. And like, as I mentioned, I was looking up all these like surgeries and things all the time. I was also looking at this, uh, this Reddit thread called uh, Trans Timelines a whole bunch. I still look at that. <laughs> I was going to say was. Pretty often. But um, looking at like how long it takes for people to change, like their appearance to change or, you know, the effects of having uh, facial feminization surgery, things like that. And it was all just like, I want this right now. Why can't I have this right now? And I was feeling quite terrible. And it was only through like talking to a therapist um, that I was able to sort of, I don't know, calm myself down a bit. So yeah, I, it all just sort of comes back to like being patient. Oh, and the other thing is brace yourself for big mood swings. I'm pretty sure that's a universal thing. Mm-hmm. It's unpredictable and pretty funny sometimes, but also a bit scary sometimes. Scary how? Just like feeling like you're not really completely in control of what you're doing. <laughs> I feel like it's another one of those things where it just exposes like we're never in really in control of our emotions and you know that like as in obviously you can be more in control and less in control Mm. but obviously we know that internal things like hormones and other factors that are to do with your body and your like brain Mm. and not some mystical thing called the self so much as like brain chemistry and emotional regulation and the nervous system or whatever Mm. or hormones are in control of your emotions, Mm -hmm. but you still feel in control of them most of the time. But then when you're like for you being on hormones, it's like, it just shows the way that your emotions can be so affected by something Yeah, that kind of breaks the myth of like, I'm this like autonomous being that like, I mean, I know that you or I probably don't believe in souls, but I think there is a sense to perceive ourselves as like having a a self Mm, that is like above all our physical systems of uh regulation yeah i get what you're saying 
And then suddenly there's something else that comes in and I'm just like, wah, all the time. Yeah, but it's like probably true that the way our emotions um, operate all the time are are a result of similar things. Yeah. But it just highlights it, having it happen through something that you've introduced into your body. Definitely. Yeah. Was there anything that that you would point out as a a partner of someone who started hormone treatment? Was there anything that you noticed or was like particularly aware of? Not too much. I mean, I think similar things, like definitely the emotional thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think it probably depends on the person. You're not difficult to ma- like, not that sorry, difficult to manage. <laughs> difficult Jesus to Christ. manage. I'm always if, being managed by you. If one of the two of us is difficult to manage, <laughs> <laughs> it is not you. <laughs> um, but I mean, I haven't found it hard. You being more more emotional, you've been having yep. a bit more of a teary here and there. But I think, I mean, I don't know if this is specific to hormones, and if it is specific to hormones, whether it is more to do with estrogen than testosterone or if it's both or if it's just to do with being in transition but I think just being aware that like I feel like you're experiencing a lot more self-doubt than you used to okay yeah um and that you're more like not exactly sensitive but like you're more just not to anything I say not that you're sensitive to things I say but just like you're you feel a lot more stressed about the way you present yourself and stuff like that and about the way you look yeah. Um, and I don't know how much of that has to do with hormones or just being in a transition, which obviously kind of causes there to be a focus on your appearance. Mm. But I just think having a bit of like patience for that and, and being aware of it. Yeah. Okay. Like we've talked about previously that time I called your boobs weird. Yeah. That was really bad. Don't call. <laughs> I Bold advice from me. Don't <laughs> call your trans partner's body weird. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a good piece that's of advice. That's bad. <laughs> If you have one piece of advice from this <laughs> this question. Don't neg your partner. And you know what? That goes out to cis couples as well. <laughs> All the bloody great advice from Agony Aunt here. I learned it the hard way. Yeah, no, I think that. And I think just creating space for your partner to feel like a lot of uncertainty and, and, and to, I guess, also experiment and play around with stuff. <laughs> I guess this is more to do with transition in general. I guess than so. hormones. It's hard to know exactly what thing is creating which yeah, definitely. behavior or which feeling. Because, yeah, you were talking about something we didn't say in the body image episode. The other thing that we didn't touch on is the fact that obviously there's a lot more focus on your appearance than there used to be. Mm. Which, I mean, the reason I would wanted to talk about that last time was to do with um, just the fact that I sometimes find that a bit triggering for my body image issues. Mm-hmm. That, like you're thinking about your appearance a lot and and the way you present yourself and your body and then that makes me think about those things. Um, But in terms of this issue, like I think it's just important to create that space for you to have that doubt about your body and and to have those like a lot of emotions. You know, you're feeling a lot of different things and and experiencing a lot of things for the first time and I think I hope that I manage that well by just reassuring you or sometimes I feel like when you start to become a bit flustered, I'll just say, hey – it's okay. It's okay. Everything's yeah. okay. Let's just sit down for a second. And and I feel like that's been helpful for you. Do you agree? Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I think sometimes, and I mean, I would say this is to do with people experiencing big emotions in general, just being like, hey, it's okay to be feeling what you're feeling right now, but let's maybe just slow it down and mm. like stop the other things that we're doing so you can just experience this emotion and not have to try and get dressed at the same time, <laughs> for example. Yeah. Which is something I have a lot of experience with as well, being Mm -hmm. extremely emotional while trying to pick an outfit. Yeah, because it's not always like stress about the outfit, for example. It's like stress about, I don't know, seeing my family or something while picking an outfit. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the way those things all feed into each other, like what should I wear? I'm going to look weird or. What if they say something? Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole thing. This is more broad. I feel like for me, it's harder to say specifically for to do with hormones because I haven't had the experience of being on them and I don't, you know, yeah. I'm more deal- talking about dealing with a partner who might be presenting in some ways. I don't have any specific mm. advice related to hormones. Yeah. So I guess it's just like patience and a bit of self-awareness. Yeah. I think also as a partner, ask your partner what they need. Yeah, that too. What they want from you. And if your partner is thinking about going on hormones, um, just be supportive of them to make whatever decision they want. Mm. I imagine that a lot of people, I don't know, but I would say even you at times got some negativity from me about hormones probably. Initially, yeah. I would say, I mean, I don't know. How would you characterize how I was when you were deciding? You, you you wouldn't have like tried to stop me or anything. You were just sort of resistant about like changes to our lifestyle collectively, I think. Yeah, because it obviously had implications for, I mean, we have covered all this ground before, but like child having in the future and also sex, that's kind of the yeah. big things. I feel that for the most part, I, I sort of sucked it up and didn't, but there were definitely times where I was sort of like, uh, uh, and look, you can't fully, that was me being hesitant, yeah. that noise. Sometimes I do a noise and in the moment I'm like, I nailed that. It is absolutely <laughs> clear exactly what I mean. And then I listen to it back and I'm like, just like. Uh, it's just a series of grunts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That was me saying that there were times when I voiced uncertainty about whether it was a good idea or kind of told you not to rush or stuff. And I mean, I definitely think there's value in not rushing that kind of decision, but also like you had a psych Mm. um, and doctors helping you with that. So I think just be as supportive as you can and open-minded. Okay. Let's go to the next question. Yes. The next question. So it's if Daisy's going to come out at her workplace, what would that mean or what could it look like? I think that's a really good question um, or an interesting question because you work in high schools yeah, and not one singular high school, but as a substitute teacher. A bunch. There's no limit to how many schools I can work at. Limitless. (laughs) Yeah. But you're also considering a career change. I am. It's, It's all a bit up in the air at the moment. So school has like pretty much just started up again. And I think I will keep working in boy mode for now, but I feel like I'm going to have to make some changes soon because I've just submitted all my name change documents, which means I'm probably going to have to change my bank accounts. And then if I change my bank account details, I'm probably going to have to tell my employer, which is the agency that sends me to schools and things like that. Only if you get a new bank account. Oh, the numbers and stuff will be the same. Yeah. Probably. Anyway. But I understand broadly what you're saying. Yeah. Also, I'm just going to gradually look more feminine and I'm going to be more obviously not a man. Yeah. And I think like as, as more time passes, exactly. A, you'll be less able to quotes on quotes pass as a man and B, you might less and less want to engage in trying to quotes on quotes pass as a man. Yeah. Like I find that every time I do something that sort of progresses, you know, like when I made a new email address or, um, I've just got a new phone that has none of my old details from my old email address in it. You know, like everything that I do to sort of move away from my old name, mm-hmm. it feels it feels really good. It feels really positive and proactive. Mm-hmm. So I think sort of keeping that name and that sort of identity alive, I don't know. I don't think I'm into that. Mm-hmm. So you're right. As time goes on, I'll probably want no. that less and less. Yeah. 
but yeah, working in high schools, it seems really stressful. So we, we have a friend who is trans and she, she does relief teaching sometimes, but she works in primary schools and she said a lot of the, like the primary school kids, they don't really have any preconceptions really. Like they'll, they'll ask, are you a boy or a girl? Um, but there's not really any like stigma attached. Yeah. Or if they say something negative, it's like clearly just being parroted from something they've heard and they, they don't necessarily understand. It's quite easy to like re redirect or like educate them on. Yeah. Or just, you know, it's not coming from, I think she was, you know, sorry, I feel like I'm, (laughs) but like whether or not, even if you can't redirect it, you know, if you know a kid's saying something they don't understand, it's like, whatever. I feel like an eight year old saying something offensive is just like, okay. (laughs) I think it's probably pretty easy to deal with yeah. emotionally. <laughs> it's like they're eight. Yeah. I don't. But as you, you even have a joke about working in high schools where you're like working in high schools is interesting because the kids are. Oh, they're big it, enough to intimidate me physically and smart enough to hurt me emotionally. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's really relevant to this. It's like when the, the kids you're working with are old enough to recognize that they can hurt you yeah. by making fun of you for being trans and to really do that on purpose, potentially. Yeah, I'm worried about that. I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck, Kat. Um. Yeah, that's something that's really sort of putting me on edge about being out at work. Most of them are fine. Most of them are just, you know, they're not that interested in whichever teacher's filling in. They're just kind of there to... Well, if it's a relief teacher, they're there to just hang out with their friends, to be honest. Well, okay, because you hear horror stories and obviously we've all been in high school and seen the way that that substitute teachers have been treated. But and even though you sometimes have really shitty days at work, I haven't actually had you seen you come home that many days and be like, there was a targeted campaign to like break me. Yeah. Which I have seen with other, like when I was in school, that definitely happened. Do you, does that happen? I think... It does happen. I don't think it's happened to me. I'm I'm not saying I'm better than other relief teachers or anything. I just think that my the way that I conduct myself in the classroom is like if a kid is really resistant to doing work, then I'm not going to be able to force them to do work. And I think it's mostly the teachers that are like, you know, strict and they feel like they have to get shit done and stuff like that. They're the ones that are more likely to like really blow up or cop it from students. Whereas me, like I'll you're just like, whatever. I'll try a couple of times to redirect them and see if I can get them to do some work. But if not, it's like, are they disrupting anyone? If so, maybe get them out of the classroom. If they're not, then just let them sit there. Yeah. Bit that's... of an insight into what it's like being a relief teacher there. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's a good approach because especially as a, a relief teacher, you can't, I mean, in general, you can't get someone, you can't really get someone to do something they don't want to do. And if you manage to get them to, it's unlikely that they will take much away from it. Yeah. As a relief teacher, you really can't. I mean, that's the reason that kids go so hard on relief teachers because they understand There's not that much the you power balance is off. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, do you think that you might come out at work? If it does happen, I don't think it'll be soon. So as you mentioned earlier, I'm also considering changing careers. I think just the fact that I'm a relief teacher and I work in a bunch of different schools, I think that's the exhausting part. Like if I was part of one school... You kind of just have to do it once, but going into a new environment super often and having to like explain, I don't know, it all sounds like a lot of emotional work for a job that's already kind of pretty draining. Yeah, totally. Do you find it really invalidating? Do you find it difficult being in boy mode at work? Not really, because I sort of, you know, like I wear my boy clothes. It's like I'm putting on a costume and then when I get home from work, I change. That's all gone away like 
you probably know as well, like when you're at work, you're in work mode. It's like a separate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've found it generally pretty easy to like compartmentalize that. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I, I had a friend over for lunch yesterday, Geordie. Hey, Geordie. And he was talking about, we were talking about like your work. I can't remember why. But he was saying, you know, about how hard relief teachers copped it and how brutal it was. And I was kind of thinking about you and I was, and, and then trying to imagine, you know, the relief teachers we had at school. And I was like, I honestly don't think they cared most of the time. Obviously, sometimes they did cry. So <laughs> they must have cared sometimes. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I feel like it's a similar thing, exactly what you're saying. You know, I used to work um, in refuge. And the thing is, is that what you don't understand when you're on the other side of that dynamic, like the non-worker side is that for the worker, it's like you are take like you know a lot about the people you're engaging with um, and they know the part of you that it's relevant, the working part and the part, you know, you do have a rapport with them to some degree, mm-hmm. but they don't really know anything about you. And so I feel like you're actually quite protected from too much emotional distress most of the time. Yeah. Not all the time. But, yeah, it's like a weird relationship to have with someone. I mean, it's obviously different. I, I'm in social work, so, you like, it's a more intense um, relationship, I would say, like working relationship than a substitute teacher. But, yeah, it's weird. Like, they know – you know a lot about them, but they – But you have this professional distance. Yeah. This is the other weird thing for you in terms of work. You don't have that much of a relationship with your employers, no. Because there's two levels. There's the schools that you're at. Well, there's many levels. There's the teachers at the schools you're at. Mm-hmm. There's the students. Yep. There's potentially the parents, depending on how long you spend at a school. Mm-hmm. And then there's your actual employers who are an organization who you work for, like, essentially as a contractor. Mm. Like, not as a contractor, but you're a casual yeah. um, staff member. And it's not, do you even know any of them? No. So, like, I have one person who's, like, my my person there. Who? <laughs> um, you're cheating on me? <laughs> They're like my um, soulmate, <laughs> work wifey, <laughs> like overseer. Or what's the what's the word? Dom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're my master. Um, there's a person at the agency who is like my contact, and they they're the one that will call me to give me work. Generally, sometimes there'll be other people do it as well, but generally, it's the same person who's like. Oh, so that's always the same woman. Yes. What a way to find out you're having an affair. If I was having an affair and coming home in the state that you see me come home from work, I don't know. It's probably not a very fun affair. (laughs) Anyway, she calls you. She calls me with work. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, we sort of have a working relationship, I guess, but I don't think we've actually met in person before. And it's always just very short conversations. There's some work here. Do you want to work here? Will you drive for an hour? No. (laughs) So, no, I don't really have any proper working relationship with anyone with my employer okay so yeah it's hard. i imagine it would be difficult for you to predict what their reaction would be if you came out to them yeah because as you were saying before like we do have a friend who works um, as a substitute teacher and she said she had a really positive experience coming out to her employer and that they sort of were really accepting and they've gone to the effort to make sure she only gets booked at schools that will be supportive of her and that she still gets work um, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But there's not really – I mean, you would hope that you would have the same experience, but you work for a different organisation and there's not – it's hard to know. Yeah. I would hope that they wouldn't send me to like, you know, super religious schools that might 
have a problem with me personally or yeah sometimes you go to schools that sound so religious and they're just chill sometimes yeah it's hard to know but yeah I think I don't think I want to get a permanent teaching position I think that's a lot of responsibility that I don't I don't really want and that's fine it's funny like so often I'll work in schools and students will be like are you are you going for a real job like other teachers will ask that as well not mm-hmm. a real job but like are you looking for positions mm-hmm. um like that's the expected thing but it's like no, ah, I'm happy to well, for now, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. But yeah, I think I do want to work somewhere that I can be like part of a, like a collaborative environment. And yeah, like a workplace. Yeah, exactly. With colleagues. I've and... not really had that a lot in any of my professional life. Mm-hmm. Like I worked, I worked at a pizza place. That was, that was like a team environment, but everything else has sort of been fairly by myself. Yeah. I think it's like, I mean, I don't know, and I'm sure there's people who quite like substitute teaching for at least for some period of time, but I think you're missing out on some of the really enjoyable, like more fulfilling parts of having a job. Yeah, definitely. It's quite isolating. Yeah. And especially, I guess the kind of thing is you'd have to deal with, so you'd have to come out to your employer and then that would be one and done. It would be finished. And Mm -hmm. hopefully let's say they were all really good about it. And then you'd have to come out. I guess you wouldn't have to come out at every school, actually. You'd just go in as a woman. and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just maybe get some awkward questions every now and again. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. Last question. Would be cool to hear about both of you doing stand-up. That is from Jake Budge. Fellow fellow comedian. Fellow comedian, friend of the pod. Always gives us lovely feedback. He does. Yeah. You're an angel, Jake. Thank you. We both do stand-up. We do. We do, we do. We don't really talk about it much on this. We don't. I feel like we've spoken about you doing it. A little bit, yeah. We probably have spoken about it. Anyway, that's how we met. Yeah. Anyway, that's the end of the Daisy Diaries for today. No, but yeah, and I think how did you feel about coming out within the comedy scene and how has it been since you came out? Well, particularly being in Melbourne, like it's a fairly progressive place and we know like a bunch of trans people that are in the comedy scene so I felt pretty relaxed at least about like how I would go performing or being on stage like did you yeah cool just in terms of like how audiences would react to like seeing a trans person on stage it it's pretty normal in Melbourne I guess I can't really speak for other places but reasonably normal yeah it's not like yeah it's not as common as we might like it to be. No. There's like a few trans comedians that I know. I guess there's like a fair few. Some, something that I did consider, and this is this is like definitely a selfish thing. I was like, <laughs> oh, it's probably going to be a lot easier to get gigs um, <laughs> to get booked. Um, oh, dear. Just because there's sort of a push for like diverse lineups. And there's also just a plethora. There's of so many straight white men. Doing comedy. Doing there's comedy. just so many of them. Um, so if you're trying to book a diverse lineup, which I think is good, it means that you, you know, a lot of the women are, I mean, I don't want to say it's not easier for women to get booked overall. There's all sorts of barriers, barriers to women, yeah. um, starting comedy, even in the first place. But yes, there are just a plethora of men to pick from. So I feel like they're on a, they're on a longer rotation. Yeah. So to speak. So that, that's a perk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been finding it's been paying off? Um, <laughs> Aren't you worried about saying, <laughs> I feel nervous to be like, and I'm getting booked heaps. <laughs> it's like, there's that movie where the guy pretends to be a woman 
Um, Mrs. Doubtfire? No. <laughs> it's called like Tootsie or something. Oh, yeah. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Anyway, this is not that um, <laughs> because I'm actually a woman. Yeah, I found, I found that it's a bit easier to get booked. Yeah. Now, which is, which is nice. Good for you. Um, and I think like my experiences is something that, that not that many performers have. So that as from like a writing perspective, I've found I've had a lot to draw on that no one else can really talk about. And you've, you've written a few things as well about like. About you? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I am just cashing out on this experience. <laughs> I mean, a kind of cashing out where there's no cash or money. Of any kind. It's exposure. It's <laughs> No, but I mean, like, even having this podcast, I've, like, always been, like, I would never make a podcast because I just don't think I have anything super valuable or interesting to put out there. And now I'm, like, thank you, Daisy. You are <laughs> the most interesting thing about me. You've made me more interesting. Um, and uh, same with comedy. I mean... I do. I mean, I obviously have most of my jokes about other things, but I'm like, yeah, this is a really interesting angle because it's not an experience that a lot of people have. Mm. Um, and I think the most interesting comedy I would say is about either naming something that people don't realize is a relatable experience until they hear you say it on stage and hear everyone else laugh. Like, I think that's really good. Mm. Or speaking about something that isn't an experience most people have had and being able to show how it is relatable yeah, um, or how it is linked to, you know, a shared human experience or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's been good. It's interesting because you obviously, you never had the experience really of being a man in comedy because you weren't a man in comedy mm. so much. You were like a not yet out trans woman in comedy, I guess. In a sense, although in, on previous episodes we've talked about the fact that you do view yourself as having previously, kind of quotes unquote, been a man. Yeah, it's sort of this sort of like nebulous thing. Thing. Brief aside, do you feel like the more time that passes, the less you feel like that is true? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I think I feel that as well. Like the more time passes, the more it seems like no, you probably because you realize you're just you. Yeah. But I think more, it's just confusing, like, because obviously on one level, gender is a construct and it's not really real. And on another level, there is a lived reality associated with it. Yeah. And when you're in the middle of kind of transitioning from one to the other, it's hard to unpick the two. Hmm, definitely. But I digress. <laughs> um, what I'm trying to say is that you didn't have this experience of being like a super confident, <laughs> blokey man in comedy who was like kind of reaping in the benefits of that privilege, whatever that may be. And I'm not trying to really make any bold statements about what that entails. Mm. Um, I know even from speaking with you before you were out to me that you felt quite uncomfortable. Um, You didn't really feel like you fit in with male comedians, but you also didn't feel like you could sort of be a part of the women comedians. Yeah. Um, Like avoiding saying female because female has been claimed as an (laughs) incel term. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you know, male comedians and woman comedians. Comedians who are women. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, Comedians experiencing womanhood. (laughs) On the one hand, you've had this interesting experience from going from being like a perceived as whatever, a male comedian to now being perceived as a female comedian. Mm -hmm. But then before I went to say that, I thought, "Mm, but did you really experience being a male comedian or were you kind of riddled with all sorts of self-doubt about it? But then who's to say that men aren't also being experiencing that self-doubt? We probably all are. Yeah. I don't fucking know what I'm saying, honestly. Getting into some philosophy here. Typical me. 
<laughs> oh my god. Classic me. I'm so philosophical. What Ooh. do men really feel? A question for today. Can anyone confirm that men feel? <laughs> <laughs> Send us a direct message on Instagram. No. Um I just don't remember what the start of this point was. I've actually forgotten. Oh, okay. I feel more welcomed generally by men and women and everyone, I guess. Which is interesting. Yeah. And maybe that's because they're picking up on the fact that I'm f- I'm feeling more at ease when I'm in those situations. Or maybe they're just more aware of wanting to make you feel at ease. That could be it too, yeah. I think that like something like this, because, you know, I do believe that most people are good, well-intentioned. And I think that something like this, it just makes you recognise the humanity in people a little bit more, mm. as in for them to recognise the humanity in you. Yeah. Because I don't know, I had a friend who um, came out as trans, mm-hmm. a friend of ours who I knew her before she was out. And I actually wasn't speaking, like we weren't really in contact at the time that she came out. And, and when I found out, I felt really like kind of guilty and like for not knowing and I, we had had an argument and I felt really bad because I was like, she was obviously going through something mm. really significant and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we eventually got back in contact again and I, I said something to that effect to her and she was basically like, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have not argued with me because I'm trans. It's really irrelevant. Yeah. Um, and what I kind of realized was it just makes it so clear that everyone is going through something that you don't know about. Mm. And it was just an example that made that very salient. You know, and I feel like maybe that is what it is, is that especially for um, men, we tend as a society not, I mean, of course we care about their inner life. We make movies about their perspective and (laughs) all media is about their perspective, but we don't really care about their emotional life that much Mm, Yeah, as a society on, um, to broadly generalize. Um, Whereas women, we do tend to, and I feel like maybe it just brought into focus the fact that you have an emotional reality. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing that you just mentioned earlier, like a few people have said that to me as well, like, oh, I can't believe I didn't know or like. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, do you feel the same way that it's kind of like, how would you have known? Yeah. But I think, yeah, people are just like, oh my God. like It's like, I'm sorry I wasn't able to support you through that because I wasn't aware. I'm sorry you were going through that by by yourself. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you had a similar experience, I think, to what, to what she at least has sort of said to me. I don't know. Obviously, I don't know as much about her journey as I know about yours. Journey, take a shot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but is she was like, yeah, I didn't know either. So how would you have known? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's interesting that both you found both more acceptance from men and women in that. And I wonder if, um, I mean, I don't know because I'm not a man in comedy, but if there's a certain, like, I don't know. It just seems there's a lot of like, blokiness and jokiness and if there isn't as much kind of checking in with each other and and emotional closeness but I can't say that there isn't because I'm not you're not in that environment yeah I'm observing it from the outside whereas with women I tend to be within those friendships Mm -hmm. oh one last thing on the comedy just like day-to-day of comedy I'm a bit more aware of like you know being out at night and things like that yeah it's interesting So, so that's that's a change like I would quite happily walk home from gigs or get like public transport late at night. And now, yeah, I'm just a bit more aware of maybe how that could go wrong. Uh, So that's, that's something I've had to adjust to. Yeah. I think one of the things, I don't know if I've ever uh, spoken to this before, but 
when you came out and it, it no longer worries me as much, but one of the things when you came out to me that I freaked out about was the idea that I might be less safe mm-hmm. on the street with you rather than more safe. Yeah. Because being a woman with a male partner, you're just used to the idea that if your partner is around you while you're walking at night or whatever, you're much more safe than you would be if you were on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now I no longer know if that's necessarily true. So yeah, that is something I've experienced as well. But I do find that I still feel pretty safe walking around with you at night because I think just having two people there yeah, is... Because um, at the end of the day, I mean, obviously it does happen and we know it's happened horribly to women in comedy and women attending comedy gigs, which is just awful. But statistically speaking, you are much more likely to be attacked by somebody you know, you're more likely to be attacked by your partner. Um, it's more likely if you're going to experience sexual violence that that will happen in a place that you're familiar with, um, mm. with a person that you know. So I think a lot of that safety is just, I mean, of course you are more safe if you have a man with you, unfortunately, but it's also just a level of perceived safety that makes you feel safe walking around. That's kind of how I feel about it as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a problematic statement. Of course, there is a real threat to women's safety. Mm. Um, walking up the street at, at night and we've seen that proven time and time again but it is nowhere near as significant as I feel like it is perceived to be compared to our our risk of um danger in other situations like at parties yeah that's true yeah um have you sorry what is your experience of being a woman in comedy um I feel like it's interesting to hear you say like what your experiences is because it's obviously changed from one thing to the other whereas I've always been a woman in comedy Mm -hmm. for me I definitely felt so welcomed by other women and I think the most kind of joyful uh, part of comedy has been that community of women Mm -hmm. um, that I've found and who like really support each other and that has been such a enriching experience (laughs) Um, it was interesting for me because I went to a school I mean my, my group of friends from high school and when I think about my friends in high school, have I like when I was in high school, have been either mainly women or a pretty equal split of women and men. And then I studied social work and I work in social work. And social work is an incredibly woman-dominated field. Yeah. Which is to say that until comedy, I had never really been in like a, a male-dominated space, mm-hmm. especially in regards to like a kind of profession. It's not my profession, but a like kind of workplace type environment, Mm -hmm. um, which comedy is. So yeah, it was interesting. And I I have found it challenging at times because I just (laughs) got used to being around a lot of women and um, to it being assumed. I mean, in social work, if anything, it's assumed that that women are more natural social workers. I mean, there's still definitely sexism in the sense that there's always like one man and he's always the fucking senior manager. (laughs) But yeah, I think there's such a good community of women and and there are like a lot of obviously great men in comedy as well. But I do, I have felt like it can sometimes be a hostile environment towards women. And I don't feel that that is usually any particular man Mm. um, or even like group of men making it that way. Of course, there are unfortunately occasions when there is like targeted hostility but it's more just like a cultural thing yeah like a cultural thing it's very blokey and that there's it just feels like there's this belief that men are better at it Mm. sometimes or that men are more natural comedians and that's not just from it's not from other comics necessarily it's it's from audiences it's from the media that you consume yeah and it's from this idea that women have to get booked because there has to be diversity on lineups 
Not you because know, they've earned their spot or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. It's easier for women to get booked because um, we need to have women on our lineup and da 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 da. Yeah. Which is obviously true, but you also have to get to a certain point to even be being considered for that. And there are a lot of roadblocks for women to reach that point. Well, yeah, the deliberately diverse lineups are a push against the, 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 culture. the culture. Yeah. So um, once the, those become normal, then it's then it's fine. Yeah. So much sexist gear that gets done on stage oh that God, makes yeah. it feel hostile. And Even just the way that you get introduced sometimes, it might be like, oh, we've got a female comedian now, whereas like... Yeah, I actually haven't experienced that that much, but I've I haven't experienced it yeah. personally, but I've seen it. Yeah, quite a lot. Yeah. Or there'll be like one woman on a lineup that's all, all men, and it's like, oh, come on, you can do better. Or no than women. This. Well, yeah, that too. Um. So yeah, I think there's just there is just a feeling that you're not in a place that is hugely not accepting of women, but like that doesn't really value women or like really see women. It might be like, yeah, you can be here. But being a man still feels like the default. Hmm. And any kind of, exactly, any time there is a strong female presence, it feels like exactly what you're saying, like an active pushback rather than just a natural yeah. state of affairs. Let alone if you have a whole woman lineup, that's obviously some like a political special thing or, event. Yeah. yeah. So I have struggled with that. Um, I think the more that I, I do it, the less of a fuck I give. <laughs> although there are swings and roundabouts and the more I get to know people, the more I, you realize that, I mean, there is some shitty behavior that goes on and some crap that happens with like not booking women and unpleasant things being said on stage or whatever else it is. But the more that I get to know people, the more I realize that most people again, like have good intentions and it's more this like nebulous culture thing that yes, I do think a lot of people, men and women contribute to, Mm -hmm but that I don't think that anyone is intentionally trying to advance the progress of men ahead of women. Oh, no one's trying to like keep women out or anything like that. Really? Maybe, maybe some, no, but I don't think not- they, I don't think people are. And I think that I, I wish people, I wish that more men were more committed to uplifting women in comedy and mm-hmm. um, making kind of equal ba- balanced lineups and stuff, the default. And it can be really frustrating when they're not. And again, especially when I've come from a background like working in social work and um, studying social work, you talk a lot about gender roles and politics and stuff like that. So it's just the given that there's this kind of belief system around politics and and the way that things like gender inequality affects things Mm -hmm. and then suddenly being in a setting where it's contentious, if that's even true, can be a bit frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Do you feel any of that? Yeah, so having seen, and I, I have some friends as well who sort of have like a perception that that some women get booked because they need to have balanced lineups or something. And it's like, that's that's a dumb attitude to have. Well, can I just say, yeah, I, I think that there are women who are getting booked because men are thinking, oh, we have to book some women. Um, but are you telling me that no men get booked who are kind of shit at comedy? Because that's not true. It's this implication that obviously a man could do it better. Yeah. But we have to get a woman, so we'll get a woman. Well, it's not like there aren't plenty of, yeah, men who are getting those spots Mm. who are not necessarily the quotes-unquote best for the job. Mm. Um, It's interesting with kind of gender stuff in in comedy or in any a lot of different spaces. It's really hard to know what is your own feelings that you're carrying in. Yeah. Like, am I just perceiving a hostility a lot of the time? Mm. Is there a hostility? 
what is reasonable to expect, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's similar to like talking about, you know, when we were talking about body image last episode, I was saying that you, I realize a lot of the kind of fat phobia I experience is actually like my own internalized fat phobia that I like perceive around me that I'm thinking everyone thinks I'm fat. Everyone thinks I'm whatever. Mm. People are thinking about my weight. People are judging me because of my weight, but no one's actually vocalizing that. Yeah. And it's impossible to know how much of it how there is, it is actually just... out there and how much is just my internal dialogue. And I think it's probably similar um, in comedy. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, I mean, I feel on to go into a more positive note. I feel like you've had a pretty good experience. And like since coming out in comedy, mm-hmm. from what you said before, people have been more open to you, not less. And your material has been so good. Thank you. You've been writing these jokes about you coming out and your experience of being trans so far. And I think they're so funny and they're so like particular to you. And I think it's been a really good opportunity for you to write about. I think those are the best things to write about that are kind of experiences not that many people have that are quite close to you. Yeah. You're like bringing people into your your life and I don't know, showing them, showing them who you are in yeah, a way you, that like is personal. Yeah. And they also kind of hopefully will kind of learn something about an experience they didn't know that yeah. much about beforehand. So I think that's been awesome. And I would say for the most part, we have a great comedy community in Melbourne who are pretty accepting of diversity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we're lucky. Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't done comedy any other in any other states or anything, so I don't really know. But yeah. I do definitely feel like it's um, mostly a pretty accepting scene and there is a really good community of women as well who really support each other and look out for each other. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's kind of it. That is it, I reckon. Again, thank you so much, everyone who's listened so far. We're going to take a bit of a break. You can regroup. still send us more questions if you want to. Send them, leave reviews, follow our social media. It's Daisy Diaries Pod, I think, on Instagram and the Daisy Diaries Podcast on Facebook. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. I don't know. Find You'll out. find us. Yeah, we literally so appreciate everybody who has gotten in contact with us or just listened. Um, this has been an awesome project so far and I think we just want to take some time to kind of regroup and see where we might want to go with it next and then we'll be back. Sweet. See ya. Bye.